Hey, I'm Greg. And I'm Nathaniel. Welcome to Only an Inkling, where we only talk about the Inklings. And we only have an inkling of what we're talking about. <laughs> I remember, I mean, it, to get into more intimate detail, like, <clears throat> I got laid off from a church that was struggling financially for a time, and... You know, they started turning the lights off in the hallways and keeping it dark to try to save money and this yeah. and that. And then we're all kind of waiting around to be called into the senior pastor's office to get like our, our pink slip that yeah. tells us we're being laid off. And I was so young. I mean, I was like 21 years old when that happened. Yeah. And even then, from like beginning my Christian journey at 10 years old to being laid off from a church at like 21 or 23 years old. Yeah. Man, like, what? Like, a church can lay you off, but it's a church, you yeah. know what I mean? And thankfully, in the long run, that was kind of a, a smack-in-your-face moment of, like, you need to come to terms yeah. with your expectations of what the church should be. Yeah. Because you need to know that people are people, whether they are right. inside the building yeah. or not. And the yeah. reality is that probably most of those expectations are ridiculous and you're going to have to just get over it. Yeah. I mean, truthfully, the majority of them are probably things that in order to function in that space, which would be true in any other circumstance, whether it's church, your marriage, your kids, your whatever, your dogs. Yep. Most of your expectations are probably things you need to let go of and... and adjust rather than yeah. have your way and even like if i went back to the the layoffs it took a while just to get out of looking at them yeah uh, but when you come to that moment of looking at yourself man that's tough too because you've got to come to grips with you're not all that in a bag of chips yeah. either <laughs> yeah yeah i definitely after leaving montana i i, I served at a church in montana for uh, two and a half years and if I was as mature as I am now and I'm not saying I'm the most mature guy <laughs> but I'm older and hopefully a little wiser than I was back then I don't know if I would have left because looking back what I was upset over and wanted to leave over was not foundational or core issues and uh. I was being rather selfish and petty to make it so monumental yeah. Um, like, would you say there was they were superficial things that you were critiquing? Or? I think so. It's not like they were being unfaithful to the word or the gospel, or, or that their heart wasn't good in in what they were trying to do. And I was hung up on things that I had learned from Bible college, and I wanted to see happen, and uh, that I thought were so important. And uh -huh. now I'm like, I, you know. It really wasn't that essential. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I feel the same way. I mean, it didn't cross my mind to examine myself when I began this journey. And I got really stuck on pointing out how everyone else was at fault. Yeah. I mean, and let me just give you some of those superficial examples because maybe some of our hearers will resonate with this. For me, the preacher's sermons weren't deep enough. Yep. And, you know, I, I learned... New Testament Greek. I got to maybe an, an advanced level, yeah, like beginner advanced level. So, 
I could safely say I knew more than like, like the average bear. Right. But to me, that meant, man, why isn't the preacher like parsing out the Greek here? Because <laughs> there's so much here. Yeah. And you never stop to think like, dude, put yourself in their shoes. <laughs> you've got like 20 minutes to make an impact here. And you've got people who are struggling financially. You've got people yeah. here who are struggling with their jobs or they have relationship struggles going on, family issues. Um, are you going to be able to cover all of that in the time that fits their attention span? Like you don't, yeah. you don't think about those things to give people a lot more grace for right. their capabilities. And the pastor, I think, when pastors face new converts, um, I mean, new converts are just on fire. Yeah, and that's so great. At the same time, it's it can become very accusatory. Yeah, because they want all the greatness to happen at once, and then they see that, oh, this is actually going to take a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to stop and look at yourself to think like, oh, do you really think that you can save the world? You know. Right. And then, you know, people shouldn't be acting certain ways now that now that they're Christians. Is another accusation that mm-hmm. I had. Um, I can't believe so and so did blah 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 and. I think this is why I've come to love this quote by the Desert Fathers that says, If you want to find peace here on and after, always ask yourself, Who am I? And do not judge anyone. Yeah. What a great piece of advice. And I I sincerely carry that with me. I try to, as much as I can, keep that on the forefront of my mind. When I feel like I'm getting into these hypercritical modes which I think is much easier for me than, than others. Like, that's just kind of my thorn in my side, you know? Well, yeah. And if I can ask myself when I get critical of others, yeah, but who am I? Yeah. <laughs> and so you stop yourself and you, you throw up that mirror. Yeah. And you look at yourself and you say, oh, I'm just as bad as the next person. Right. I've got my faults. It, you know the old saying, like, if you want a perfect church, you, you better not go to it because... You'll be the one who ruins it. Yeah. You know, it, that's so true. And it's, these are all ways of saying the same thing. Put right. up the mirror, look at yourself and calm down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I, I am very, very prone to becoming very critical as well. And part of that is just, that's the way I am. Probably grew up with more criticism or something. But part of it's also comes from, I think, you're more educated than I am, but we're both more educated than a lot of the people sitting in the pews. Mm. And even oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes in a, than, a, than a pastor that's preaching. And that can make it hard to not become critical because you, quote unquote, know more. Yeah, you know? Yeah. But really you don't. You don't know what they have to go through to get that message to where it ha- is and to deliver it and yep. how they're trying to impact their church and where their heart is at and who they feel the need to minister to. And well, you don't really know all those factors. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the age old battle between information versus experience. Yeah. There might be a pastor who didn't go to seminary like we did, but they have been pastoring people in this very relational sphere that I right. haven't, they've been doing it for like 20 years. Right. They're going to know way more about, the needs of the people than right, I am. Right, right. I only pastored youth and children for three years almost. <laughs> <laughs> who am I to really criticize? <laughs> There's that question, who am I? Um, yeah, exactly. As I was reading the fourth paragraph 
of chapter two, I stopped to ask myself, what is Lewis doing here? Or what does Lewis want to do here? And because he gets into this, uh, this little spiel here, revealing to us through screw tape of how God sees us. And screw tape size how the enemy sees us. And what is up with this hard process of you're a new convert, you're like so electric right now, and you are just ready to see the world rescued mm-hmm. like you've been. And you can get to this point of, hopefully you get to this point of really being humbled in the long run. Yeah. And seeing that this is going to be a process and it's going to have some difficulties. Yeah. It's going to have a lot of difficulties. I mean, it's hard to see as a new convert all the passages that are telling you about uh, taking up your cross. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Because it's going to be really hard. Yeah. And that, that part of the Christian message is not appealing. It's hard to lead with that if you want to like call people to salvation. Yeah. I use air quotes um, because that there's nothing sexy about the hard parts of Christianity. No, like the, that G.K. Chesterton quote. I always come back to. He says basically like people have not found Christianity um, tried and found wanting. They found it difficult and left untried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it is, it turns out, ends up being a lot more difficult than we thought. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with the relationship aspect of it that just, um, the people are messy. So we have to expect the, the messiness of it yeah. all. Well, you know? I, I, would, I would touch on that a little further to say a lot of times it becomes about when you hear from from non-believers criticizing Christianity or the church, talking about it kind of similarly here, that that screw tape is encouraging Wormwood to keep his patient thinking about it this way, it it's becomes um, very well. It's not perfect. There's all these problems, the relationship issues. People are hypocrites. But the reality is, it's that way with just humans mm-hmm. across the board. You know, I'm I'm a, an admin on Facebook uh, for a fish group, and I'm pretty active on some other ones um, for the the fish community, and because I, I keep aquarium fish um, in Wichita, and there's a lot of non-believers there, and there's a lot of drama and a lot of imperfection and a lot yeah. of like failure of relationship that happens. Yep. And it's like it's just it's just the human condition, and that doesn't change just because we're a Christian. Are you serious? <laughs> but that's that's a that actually is a big realization. Yeah, it really is. It's a lot of reason. I mean, that's a big reason why people don't come to church. I don't want to go be around those hypocrites or things right. like that. And people are just people. Yeah, and and you're probably a hypocrite too. <laughs> and get to know people yeah. at church because you will see that um, they they're going through some things. Yeah, and it's not any different than people outside the church going through things. Yep. It's not like people inside the church are like aliens or something or no. their own species because we're just human beings. Right. <laughs> That's all that we all are. Right. And so it, it appears to me that. Lewis is actually trying to teach us something good about Christianity, even though it's coming through this hideous character, Screw Tape. tape. Yeah. 
and, and screw tape because he begins he begins to elaborate on what it means to be what God calls his quote unquote free lovers and servants or, or sons mm-hmm. and daughters. Mm-hmm. So to be a free lover or servant of God is to come to deeper realizations <laughs> I love this. It's to come to deeper realizations of the disappointment of every human endeavor. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, wait a second. Lewis just seemed to like flip this on its head. Mm-hmm. The thing that God wants you to do as a free, loving servant and son or daughter of the king is to come to grips with the disappointment of every endeavor. <laughs> right. And then and then and then press on anyway in in faith and love of him. You keep going. Yeah. Yep, that's the that's the rub right there. Yeah. So in other words, whenever human beings aspire to do something, the thought is always more enchanting than, mm-hmm. you know, the drudgery and potential difficulties that ensue. Yeah. And isn't this just true to life? So it's like, if this is true to life, of course it's got to be true inside the church. It's not like we're, we are immune to that, right. you know? So it's like, I mean, I, I speak Spanish, and so I know the process. I know both processes, like the school process or if you're just going to try to do it yeah. solo. If you want to learn Spanish, it is a lot of fun to imagine. <laughs> it's way more fun to imagine yourself talking to others like on an outdoor patio at a restaurant in Spain. Right. Than it is to actually put in the amount of practice, memorization, learning grammar, everything that it takes to actually get there. That's a much more heartbreaking story. <laughs> than all of the fun imagination that comes before it. Yeah. It's the endeavor that is really difficult yeah. rather than the exciting imagination of everything. Yeah. And now screw tape calls this process a quote unquote degrading of the whole spiritual world. But he says that God helps us to do things on our own, in air quotes, so that we become less dependent on emotion. And therefore, much harder to tempt. Mm. It's interesting to me. Screwtape calls this a degrading of the whole spiritual world. Like maybe it's more lofty if it was just completely run by spiritual entities, yeah. than leaving this kind of like human endeavor in it, where there's difficulties and failures and uphill battles. Yeah. Well, he calls people the the um, two-legged animals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, bipedal turds. <laughs> Yeah. At the same time, when a Christian hits that first big realization, hopefully, that Christianity seems pretty boring and mundane based on our judgments of everyone else, I think we are immediately at a great opportunity for growth and or for downfall. It's like right at this moment of chapter 2, this is, um, my chair is squeaky, I promise I'm not just like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, rip, ripping it here. But <clears throat> chapter two is a really pivotal moment of make or break on either side. Like yeah. this is the biggest part of, of the battle. Yeah. Because there's either going to be great downfall or great victory or either a slow trajectory upward or downward. Yeah. You know? However you want to split it. But no matter what, there's great opportunity on one side or the other. Right. And I think this guy leans into, you know, C.S. Lewis is famous for saying, you know, what matters most about, like, 
your vocation or basically anything you do in life is whether or not you're getting closer to God or closer to the devil. You know, closer to heaven or closer to hell. Everything, he said, comes down to that. Hmm. And you can totally see, like, this is that pivotal moment, too. It's like, all right, where's your trajectory going to go from here? Yeah. And Screwtape wants to take full advantage of that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can keep going. I'm on. I'm just. (laughs) Well, I, I mean, I, I. Let me see if I can put this into words properly. If not, then you can just cut it out. <laughs> but it kind of makes me think about the Chronicles of Narnia, too, and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is, my of favorite. course, also by C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I'm joking. Not my favorite. But. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's the, um, there's the siblings that go through the wardrobe. We have Lucy, the youngest, Edmund, Peter, and... I'm trying to remember the oldest daughter's name, the oldest sister. Anyway, there's four of them. Edmund, the middle son, becomes um, a traitor for a little while. He, he goes through this disillusionment, you know, disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants the attention. He wants to be the hero. He turns them into the witch. But in the end, he he comes around and, and atones for it and, and chooses rightly. So that idea of you're either always heading towards hell or Satan or heaven and God, uh, each decision. But just because you've made a decision that leads you closer to hell and Satan doesn't mean you can't then turn around and make another decision that leads you closer to heaven and to Christ. Uh You're not stuck as long as you're alive. Uh You can keep moving. Yep, yep. So. And in, in... I quote Proverbs 15 a lot because as I've been trying to memorize more scripture, I just, um, I've only, I'm almost done memorizing chapter 15. (laughs) So it's like the only thing that comes to mind anymore is just this one chapter. But that chapter is really humbling. There are plenty of passages to say, like, the way to wisdom, I'm just paraphrasing now, is to be able to accept correction. Mm -hmm. Or the way to wisdom is humility. Yeah. Like those who make fun of wisdom don't like to be corrected is how is how one of the yeah. passages begins. And man, humility hurts. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a comfortable road. At the end, it, I mean it just takes me back to the desert fathers again because one of their like go to things for advice for people who sought them out was you could just do a much better job at being humble. Like they go to that a lot. Yeah. Because humility is, I mean, that's the road of sanctification. Well, <laughs> I mean, Mariah came up with this really great idea that she wants to do a verse of the week that we stick on the fridge and we take turns choosing the verse. And mm-hmm. of course, I can't remember the reference now, but it's in Matthew, I think, maybe chapter 20. But um, Jesus says in there, and it's a common verse so this may sound cliche but you know the son of man did not come to serve to be to be served but to serve uh-huh. and that that concept of humility comes straight from the one that if, if we're christians we call lord right but man that idea of humility being the ability to accept correction how did you word it is that yeah i, yeah, I mean that's 
Ooh, that's hard. It is. <laughs> and isn't it funny? You don't see those passages until you've been humbled. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it kind of needs to hit you before you know that it's there. Yeah. Or you need to walk into it. Yeah, humility is so hard. And did I tell you about uh, Psychology Today put out this study? And it's kind of humorous <laughs> sometimes when they put out these studies because, um, well, it's humorous because they do the studies because they need to actually show scientific evidence for things that people have been claiming is true all along. Yeah. And it makes it humorous because, like, for example, they put out a study that said, studies show time and again that if you're arguing with someone and you know you're wrong, if you fess up to being wrong, you actually save the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> It is just—it's humorous because you read that and you go, "Duh, duh." But it's like, well, why do they need to say that? Why do they need to, to back that up with scientific evidence? Well, it's because who's actually humble enough to do that, though? It's mm -hmm. a much bigger question. It's not easy in the heat of a moment when you really want to win and you don't mm -hmm. want to look bad to say, "You know what? You're actually right here," and I was just trying to yeah. to save face, like. But to know that that road actually salvages relationships uh, biblically, it's the road to wisdom. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, that's a hard road to take, though. <laughs> I would really rather yeah. save face, you know. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, Lewis or Screwtape, I'm not really making a distinction here anymore, <laughs> agrees with what we're suggesting in this episode in the last paragraph of the chapter. <clears throat> Screwtape says... It's even better if the patient looks around at all the different members of a congregation and if he actually knows some dirty little details mm -hmm. about them. It's even better yep. because the patient can then judge them even more fiercely. But the great danger in all this, says Screwtape, is if the patient ever thinks to himself, you know what, I know what I am and yet I'm a Christian. <clears throat> So why should all the different vices of others lead me to think that Christianity is hypocritical? Yeah. C.S. Lewis says it in a different way. It's just a little bit confusing here. I had to reread it a, a couple of times. He says, um, If I, being what I am, can consider that I am in some sense a Christian, why should the different vices of those people on the next pew prove that their religion is, more hip is mere hypocrisy and convention? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, even the next line, you may ask whether it is possible to keep such an obvious thought from occurring even to human mind. And then he tells Wormwood, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And, man, that is an important point even today. Because, to me, there's a fine line between injustices done by Christians versus accusations toward Christian hypocrisy without considering our own hypocrisy. Mm. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to belittle in any way the terrible things that the church has done. Sure. And no, I do not want to try to throw a blanket over that at all. The church has done some hideous things, continues to do so, and will do so in the future. I mean, let's not cover that up. Right. But those accusations are different from looking at Christian hypocrisy and saying... This is why I, I'm out. Right. Well, then you just might as well live a solitary life in a cave in the mountains and get away from humanity because <laughs> every human organization suffers from that reality. Right. Every political group suffers from that reality. Every 
hobby club yes. suffers from that reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so can I, can I put it to you another way that it's been put to me in the past, and this has definitely stuck with me. I think many people have actually not thought about it this way before. That if you look at certain actions of Christians and you think to yourself, what a hypocrite, mm-hmm. such hypocrisy. You know, see, look at that. That's why I could never be a Christian. Yeah. Shouldn't your response actually be the other way around? Because when you point out that someone is not living according to the standard Christian value, you're actually affirming that you know what the actual standard of those Christian values are. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And so if you actually affirm to know what the actual standard is of Christianity, your response should not actually be that you're going to turn away from the whole thing, but that you are actually going to live according to the standards that you're espousing. Oh, yeah. I you know what, what I mean? Yeah, I see what you're saying, yeah. Yeah. It's like it's, if you have the right to identify and know those standards and then call someone else out on it, that must mean that you're living uh, in a way that meets those standards. I mean, you at least know what yeah. what the right way is to go. Yeah. So instead of living that out, you just turn your back on it. Right. It's kind of strange. And so I was thinking, like, what's, like, an illustration I could I could put to this to really hit it home? And I thought of this, like, you know, sometimes when you see someone like a waiter or waitress and they're being mistreated at the table over, like, just being berated by the customer, and then when they come to serve you, you feel that extra compassion to be even nicer to them. Yeah. And, or even apologize on behalf of that person who was mean to them. Yeah. And that's a normal compassion response. Right. You would think that it would be the same with what we're talking about here with Christian hypocrisy. Instead, you know, if the way some people respond to Christian hypocrisy, it would be like, let me put it this way. You see the waiter or waitress being berated at the table over, getting yelled at. Yeah. And instead of being extra nice to the waiter or waitress when they come to serve you, you just get up and leave and vow never to go to a restaurant again. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You look over at that it's table. Ridiculous. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You look at that and you just say, oh, man, that is so, that's so terrible. See, that's why I don't go to restaurants. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, no, that's... no, just be nice to the waiter. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, th- I think that's how it goes. So if we know what the Christian value is, why not just, if you're already affirming it, well, then live up to it. Yeah. Or strive to. Show people the way. Yeah. You know? And then walk in humility like we were talking about earlier because you're going to mess up too. Uh-huh. And the best thing you could do then, like we said, is be humble enough to admit it yeah. and apologize and accept responsibility rather than save face. Yeah, which we'll see. The, the church uh, at large is going to have to do a lot of apologizing. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, upheaval. Uh, you know, I don't want to like dog any denomination, but there's a lot of stuff coming out right now with sexual accusations and allegations where the church just has to say, ah, we've really messed up. Yeah. And we're sorry. And some people need to go to jail. Some people need to pay the price because they just have done hideous things. They've done a lot of traumatic harm to people. I mean, there's been some damages done. Yeah. At the same time, though, if we would have seen all of those passages in the scriptures that talked about the road to humility 
as hard as it is, if you take it, you actually come out wiser. You actually come out being the person that you imagined yourself being. Yeah. But you thought that saving face was going to get you there. Right. If you would have taken the humble route, we could have actually been um, a motivational force for people on the outside. Sure. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, the, the last thing I want to highlight about this chapter is we get a lot of subtle cues, I think, that the patient is just absolutely on fire right now. I mean, on fire not by hell standards. Right. <laughs> for all the good reasons. Yes, yeah. he's, he's on fire for, for Christ. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, he's just head over heels for God. Everything is electric about his relationship with God right now. But Screwtape recognizes that it still lacks a lot of depth. I yeah. mean, that's kind of the, the summary of this chapter. Yep. And Screwtape says, The patient has not been anything like long enough with the enemy, that's God, Yep. to have any real humility yet. Yeah. So humility takes time, essentially. I, I, I love that sentence, too. Yeah. What he says, even on his knees, that's in prayer, mm-hmm. about his own sinfulness is all parrot talk. In other words, he's just saying what he's heard yeah. about how this how Christians talk. He still believes himself to have run up a very favorable credit balance by allowing himself to be converted. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and he thinks he's, and and he thinks that he is showing great humility, and condescension, in going to church with these smug, commonplace neighbors at all. Yeah. Yeah. So he he hasn't looked at himself. He sees everyone else as smug. Yeah. He's got it all. Yeah. All figured out. He doesn't know anything yet. Yeah, and so that's the that's the false humility, isn't it? Especially at conversion, it's easy to think that that first prayer of repentance is really the best one. Mm. And that really stands out to me because later on, you get caught up in uh, repeat sins for a while, or mm-hmm. you make some big mistakes. Not everything is roses all the time, etc. Right. And you realize that your first prayer of repentance was actually not the best one. In fact, it was probably the worst, is how I see it now. Yeah. Um, because if it was the perfect one, you'd never have to ask for forgiveness again. And I think, just as a side note, if this is really good advice for those who do find themselves repetitively committing <laughs> sins that they don't really want to be committing, those times are refining times. Because you start to see over time how if you get caught up in this repeat cycle of something, you feel bad about it, you ask for forgiveness, you do it again, feel bad, ask for forgiveness. You find that those first couple of prayers of repentance just kind of sucked. <laughs> <laughs> they, they actually ended up not being uh, your best attempt at repentance, for lack of better terms. Yeah. And so uh, they're kind of surfacy. And you find that you're asking, actually, what C.S. Lewis has said in, an, in another letter once, what you're really asking God for is to be pardoned or looked over more than you are asking for the strength to never turn back to that sin again. And so I think, like, just as a side note for people going through repeat behaviors or patterns like that and feeling bad for repetitively asking for forgiveness... I think that's a part of the journey sometimes is to refine that repentance because you've got to come to grips with look your first prayer of repentance or like saving faith Mm 
Yeah. Uh, that's totally not the best prayer. Right. It's a good prayer and it's important. Totally. Totally. It's yeah. necessary. Yeah. It's eye opening and yeah. it begins that awesome relationship. Uh, but you've got much better prayers coming your way and they're yeah. going to be refined. And you've, you've got to come to a place where you're aware, as you're pointing out, and, and actually, really, truly willing. To seek to put the sin behind you. Yep. Not just have it looked over, yeah. tucked under the rug. I love the way he parsed that out. That people tend to find themselves looking to be pardoned rather than forgiven. Yeah. Because forgiven means you've got to fess up. Yeah. You got to look at yourself again. You know, to all this, Screw Tape says, well, it's a backhanded phrase. Because he says, keep, keep the patient looking out at the congregation and look at how smug they are. Yeah. When really how I, the meaning behind that phrase to me is keep the patient smug. Yeah. By looking at everyone else's smugness. Because as, as long as he looks out at them, he's not seeing how, yeah. just how much of a brat he is himself. Right, right. <laughs> well, and I, yeah, keep him self-absorbed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before, before we're done, I, I wanted to go back to this line and, and just see what we think about it further um he has not been anything like long enough with the enemy to have which means god to have real humility yet Mm -hmm. that line really caught me because i was like wait is is lewis or screw tape or lewis through screw tape trying to suggest here that the only way to have real humility as a human being is through relationship with christ I don't know if that's his claim, but that's like if you if you just sit there and read that, it sounds similar to that. Huh. I'm not trying to make that claim. I'm just curious. What exactly is he saying there? I, I read it as it's a matter of time, because he says it, it just hasn't been long enough with God. Because yeah, but, I mean, your first prayer of repentance is is an act of humility. Mm-hmm. It's your first realization, I think, big enough to where, well, you you may have had internal realizations before that you know you don't you don't measure up right to God, but to actually say it is another thing. Yeah. To actually come out with what was in your heart, and that is a humble act. But it seems like what is more important that Screw Tape was pointing out earlier, he still got those old habits. Yeah. And what that means is that it's going to take time. And the real, like, rubber meets the road situation is not just that they prayed this first prayer of repentance, but we'll see how much he means it later on when he comes across those old temptations to bring back those old habits again, you know? Yeah. And so only time will break that. And that's. That's just a sucky part of the journey. Yeah, I, I just, I feel like for me though, a critical part of that sentence is with the enemy mm. or with God. Mm-hmm. So it is time, but it's time, time with God. God. Uh-huh. And I think that is why I was like, man, that sounds like he's suggesting that true humility is is the result of time with God oh, I see relationship time mm-hmm. uh, relationship over time with God yeah um, 
and that that's really where it comes from. That's not a comfortable gospel that I'm familiar with. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. No, I know. It's not comfortable, and it. I don't even like the idea of saying it on a podcast because I don't want to offend people, but it's like... It sounds like you're saying God, God is going to break me over time. Yeah. Yeah, and... I guess where I'm coming down to is the only way forward is with God and time. Uh-huh. There, and hum- there really isn't a forward motion without that. Yeah, yeah. And humility, <clears throat> I don't, it's hard to talk about. Humility hurts, but you're not completely shattered. No. I say break, but I'm just, I'm being, I'm just exaggerating. Um, God knows what he's doing with mm-hmm. you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what he does with you hurts just like any relationship that involves love and care and time the longer you are in a relationship the more nasty things boil to the surface yeah and they either get dealt with or they don't yeah and as we've seen here this kind of like this nasty part of the gospel (laughs) message is um to deal with the dirty things yeah and that's not comfortable no but you come out better for it. It's the way. It's the way forward. And to go back to the horticulture analogy I had before with the bonsai earlier on, um, <clears throat> the tree is protected in the forest by its bark. But the tree doesn't need the bark when it's in the care of the bonsai artist uh-huh. because the bonsai artist keeps it safe. But not only that, even though there's times where things get really ugly because of hard pruning and scars and in the long haul the bonsai becomes a more beautiful thing Mm. because of the work of the bonsai artist on it and so we can it's it's hard and it can be painful but it is the way as we're saying it also results in our good yeah well may we know and trust the (laughs) humble path yeah it hurts and it's hard to do it but man, if we did it, I think that would be appealing to everybody. Yeah. And it would actually get us to the way. But man, the temptation to save face is really strong Yeah. in those moments. But to know that if we actually just fessed up, people are actually more attracted to that than they are when they see you and know you're wrong and know that you won't admit it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this chapter hit me hard. It was so fresh again. Yeah. And this is so... I mean, one of the powerful things about it is when you've been on this journey for a while, the basics still hit you as if it was day one. Yeah. But it's got new depth to it because we've got a lot of history behind us to reflect. And you just think, wow, I've still got work to do. Yeah. I know, I know. I read this chapter, and then I read, I read chapter three as well, and both of them just. I was like, "Oh, this hurts." Yeah, that cha- this chapter I, was hard. I need, I need a lot of work. You've been listening to Only an Inkling. If you like this podcast, you already know what to do. 